you been outside? It's gorgeous. I was just outside. I took two laps around. I started sweating. I was like, I need to come back inside. But it's, I feel like I'm not even in Oregon. I love summers in Oregon. Um, real quick, my name is James Ramirez, not to be confused with James Rafferty, the much taller, darker, and handsomer um, of the two of us. Uh, raise of hands, who here actually knows who I am? Oh, okay. I like half. Who has no clue who I am? <laughs> what? You can't do that, James. Um, okay, awesome. So I think um, something that might be helpful before we get started. Is this working? I just want to see if these slides are going to work, if this thing's going to... Oh, it's not on. Okay. Oh, it works. Okay, awesome. Um, I was thinking before we get started, I would just give you like a brief two-minute summary of the last 26 years of my life, so you guys know who it is who's up here talking to you. Does that sound okay? Okay. Um, So I was born in California, Santa Rosa, uh, Napa Valley wine country area, Um, raised by predominantly Catholic family. My family on my father's side come from Mexico. On my mother's side, they come from Italy, Um, and somehow they met in Santa Rosa, and here's James. Um, My parents divorced after a few years, um, so life was just complicated and confusing, um, as it is for a lot of us. And uh, I grew up, and I just fell in love with sports, and I did a lot of basketball, a lot of track and field, um, a lot of art. I like to draw. Um, went through life, and I was just a very happy type of person. Because um, at one point in my life, I just chose to be, because I was so depressed in the beginning phases of my life. I was like, things need to change. So I made that decision. Anyway, fast forward through high school, I'm running a lot. I actually changed schools because I want to do distance running. And so I do. Things work out pretty good. I get, you know, pretty competitive into it. And I decide that I need to go to the University of Oregon um, for running. Uh, So that's why I came to Oregon, left California, came to Oregon. um, Kept getting hurt. Had a lot of injuries. So it just never worked out. And to be honest, I'm glad it didn't because I'm pretty sure the trajectory of my life would have went a totally different direction. Um, So found myself in Eugene, um, left Eugene, went to Portland after I graduated from U of O in 2014 and uh, entered a very toxic relationship. And um, one thing led to another, and I was just at the bottom. I was just, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm going through this mess or why I'm allowing myself to go through this. And I felt very distant from God. I felt like I was alone. Um, I felt like there was no one to blame but myself. All my family's in California. I'm up here. I feel like I did this to myself. So anyway, I eventually um, get a call from my buddy Daniel, who's actually right back there. Thanks for coming, Daniel. Um, And he's like, dude, you need to go to Arise. And I was like, "Uh, I don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. But he's like, no, just, just pray about it. And I was like, I hear you guys share your faith. I don't want to do that. That's scary. And so uh, I, um, I was like, no, bro, it's, it's not going to work out. I'm just not going to go to a rise. I'm kind of in the situation I'm in because I put myself here, and this is how life's just going to work itself out. And I don't know, life's over. Oh, well. Anyway, he made me pray about it, so I prayed about it. And somehow, by the 
uh, miraculous workings of God, which he's really good at. He plucked me out of Portland, and he dropped me off in Jasper. And so I went through a rise in 2016. Um, I was asked to stay on as an intern in 2017, um, which was, I, I call a rise, like, the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And I call the internship the second greatest thing that ever happened to me. Um, because I got to see, for the first time in my life, the true love of God for me and his hot pursuit of me. Um, I don't know if you guys know the song, Reckless Love, but I just love the picture that it paints of how God will literally go through anything to find you at any cost to himself. Um, So anyway, uh, internship last year ended. I was asked to stay on as a part-time employee at Lightbearers, and now I work with uh, James Rafferty and uh, Jeff Spady, which you guys know, and another guy named Joseph Washburn. And basically, we just have fun. That's more or less our uh, job description. Um, but anyway, I say we get started. Um, yeah, let's pray. Dearly Father, I want to thank you um, for this church, Lord, uh, for the opportunity to be here at Fall Creek. Um, it's a beautiful crowd. And it's a beautiful church. I picture myself to be rather nervous, yet I feel so comfortable. So thank you for that. Um, I pray, Lord, that at this moment, your children would uh, hear none of what I have to say, but all of what you have to say. I pray that your spirit would be poured out on this place and that you would fill our lives with your love. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have finished the work. Have you ever felt like you're running out of time? Have you ever felt like there's a deadline coming up and it's just getting closer and closer and you're like, there's no way I'm going to get this done? Always. Have you ever felt like there's just too much to do on your to-do list? Like every time you cross off one thing, you just added three other things. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe you're so organized, this never happens to you, um, which I envy you. Perhaps um, you have children, and you don't get to see your children very often. And when you do get to see your children, you spend that time with them. And then they have to leave, and you're left thinking, where did the time go? How did it fly by so quickly? I'm running out of time. I believe that time is the most valuable resource we have as humans. Uh, Popular culture and a lot of people believe that money is your most valuable resource. Um, But I beg to differ. I think think it's time. Money, we can always, it can always come and go. But time, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, So I think it's important to seize every opportunity we have. There's a, there's a quote that I really like. And it's called, it goes like this. um, The most important thing in life is relationships. Your most valuable resource is time, so let's invest our time in relationships. Um, What we're going to do for a large part of this service is we're going to hone in on the life of a man in the Bible who who found himself running out of time. So before we do that, though, I kind of want to give us a sneak peek into what the days of his life looked like leading up to the big point in his life when he knew that his hour had come. Oh, there we go. 
So who we're going to look at today is Jesus. You may have heard of him. Uh, he's a big, big uh, part of Scripture. Um, so I just wanted to go through a little list of Jesus' daily activities. And this is not an exhaustive list. Um, but these are a few things that if you were to transport yourself back 2,000 years, if you were to spend some time with Jesus, you'd probably find yourself doing some of these things with him. Jesus was daily helping his mother with household chores. Uh, he was building furniture out of wood. He was playing with children. He was spending time out in nature. He was spending time with sinners. And he was spending time with his father. He was preaching in the synagogue. And he would find himself speaking to thousands of people at one time. Uh, he found himself healing the sick rather frequently. And he would find himself casting out demons from people and setting them free. And also raising people from the dead. Now... I just want to point out here that everything Jesus did was for one purpose, and it was to glorify his Father. Everything Jesus did at the forefront of his mind, he had his mission. He never lost sight of what his mission was. So he took every opportunity to invest his time in really what mattered. Now I just want to ask, what was Jesus' mission? Would someone be willing to read the verse on the screen? Mm. So what's the mission of Jesus? To save his people from their sins. Now, I just really want to take a moment to help us understand the magnitude of this mission. Okay? For he will save his people from their sins. Who are his people? Okay, I heard a few, I heard, I heard a few everybody's. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, that's correct. So my main thing here I wanted us to pull out is his people are not just believers. His people are not just Christians. His people are also unbelievers. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Catholics, the Muslims. His people are not only the 7 to 8 billion people that are alive in the world today, but the billions upon billions of people who have ever lived and who will live. It was his mission to save all these people from their sins. Now, like we mentioned, everything he did was purposeful. Uh, Spirit of Prophecy talks about how he never spoke an idle word. He never spoke a harsh word. And everything he did was in line with the will of his father. So, in the closing moments of his life, just before he's taken away to be betrayed and then crucified, what does he do? What does the king of the universe do before it's time to die? He has one last opportunity. He prays. He has dinner. Spends it with his disciples. Yeah, absolutely. So what he does, like uh, Ramiro said here, um, he has dinner with his disciples. He washes their feet, and then they head out. They head out to where? Do you guys know where he was headed? Gethsemane. Before he got to Gethsemane, they made a pit stop because he wanted to do one last thing. Before his great agony. Where was that pit stop at? 
Mount of Olives. You're good. That's, that's, I, I didn't know that. I had to study that out. Mount of Olives. Mount Olivet. Yeah. So they made a pit stop at Mount Olivet. And what did they do at Mount Olivet? They prayed. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven with his disciples present, and they prayed. Does anyone know what the focus of that prayer was and what pervaded the Savior's mind before entering Gethsemane? That they would be one. Yeah. So let's go ahead and turn with me to your Bi- in your Bibles to John 17. I hope you guys have your Bibles. Awesome. Daniel, do you have your Bible? <laughs> so John 17. And before uh, we read, because we're going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to fly through it real quick. Uh, before we read the chapter John 17, I want to read this uh, quote from SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 5. This, oh. This was Christ's last prayer with his disciples. It was offered just before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was to be betrayed and taken. When he reached Gethsemane, he fell prostrate upon the ground in an agony of distress. What caused his agony? The weight of the sins of the whole world was resting upon his soul. As we study this prayer, that is the prayer of John 17, let us remember that it was just before this experience and just before his betrayal and trial that these words were uttered. So just, I want you guys, as we read this, to feel the magnitude of the moment. He has 30 years to accomplish a mission, a mission to save the whole world. And the last thing he does before being betrayed into the hands of sinners is he prays. And it's this topic that is on his mind. And he can't shake it. So John 17. Let's go ahead and read. I'm going to go ahead and read John 17, 6 through 19. Would anyone be willing to read 1 through 5 and then 20 to 26? Okay, would you like to do 1 through 5? Would anybody be willing to read 20 to 26? Right on. Thanks, John. Go for it. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. 
I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Thank you. So, what is the common thread throughout this whole thing? I think Reese said it earlier. That we'd be one. As he is one with his father. If you take this, um, take this prayer, you can kind of split it up into three portions. The first portion is Jesus praying for himself. The second portion is Jesus praying for his disciples. And the third portion is Jesus praying for all believers that would ever believe in him throughout the, ceaseless, throughout the ceaseless ages. And I think there's something very powerful here. Two-thirds of his prayer has been answered. But there is a third of his prayer that remains to be answered. You ever feel like sometimes you pray and it takes forever to get a response? Christ knows how you feel. In this first part, let's break these down really quick, these three parts. In this first part of Christ praying for himself, his main focus is, Lord, Father, I pray that you would glorify me like before the foundation of the world when I was with you. And let me ask you guys, has Christ been glorified? Is he glorified? Yeah, yeah. An example, Revelation chapter 1, right? 
where he makes himself known to John. And what do we see? A glorified body, a glorified Christ. This has been answered. You move on to the second part. Jesus prays for his disciples. Okay? His main prayer for his disciples is that they would be of one mind and of one accord with him and his father. That's his prayer. Oneness. And let me ask you, was that prayer answered? Yeah, it was answered. Where? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, it says that they were in one mind, in one accord, in one place, and they shared everything in common. After much reconciliation, they got to that point. The Holy Spirit was able to pour himself out upon them, and they were able to leave that place and boldly proclaim their faith in a loving God. Now, we get to the third part. And Jesus' prayer is that believers down through the ages would be one with him. And that they would be one with his Father. Let me ask you, are we one with Christ? Are we one with his Father? Of like mind, of like spirit, in one accord? So now we come up to the third part of his prayer, and Christ is asking believers of today. He's asking believers of the Fall Creek SDA Church. I want to make it very at home today. Will you, Fall Creek, be one, be of one mind and of one accord with my Father and I? Yes or no? Yes? Okay. If yes, then I feel like we have a question. Of what mind is Christ and of what spirit is Christ? Because we can't be of one mind and of one spirit with Christ unless we know of what mind and spirit he is. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five Bible verses on unity and oneness with Christ. Uh, And to be totally honest, I don't have enough time to really piece through all of these like I would like to. Um, Currently, in our sessions uh, in the internship, we're on one of these verses, and it's literally taking us a couple hours. So I, I challenge you guys to take these verses, take them home, and dissect them, and spend time with them in understanding How can I, as a member of the Fall Creek SDA Church, apply these so that I can be in one accord, in one mind, with my fellow believers here in Christ Jesus? So, I'm going to fly through these, like I said. First one we're going to look at is Luke 23, verse 34. So if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 23... Oh man, going the wrong way. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. You guys there? Okay. 
So, little background here. Jesus has been taken to trial. He has been mocked. He's been scourged. He's been beaten on the head with a rod, a reed. He has had the crown of thorns twisted into his skull. He has been stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And he views the people that he sees in front of him a certain way. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Who does that? When someone cuts me off in traffic, I want to get mad. When someone uh, crosses me, I want to cross back. When someone takes something of mine that's not theirs, I want to give them a piece of my mind. But Christ is like, wrong spirit, wrong mind. Let this mind be in you. And it's this mind where Christ says, those people and I are one. The king of the universe leaves his throne and comes to earth, knowing what's going to happen. But he knows that if some have to die, then he's willing to die. And if he could save but one, he'll take it all. What would it look like practically to be of one mind like this in a body? To hold nothing against anyone. How powerful would that be? Verse number two we're going to look at is Luke 9, 49 to 50. So hang a left to Luke 9, and we're going to read verses 39, or 49 and 50. How many of you guys were at convocation last year? Couple? Yeah? So David Ashrick spoke a very powerful sermon that I've just never forgotten. And during that sermon, he mentioned these two verses, and I haven't been able to ever get them out of my head. I think they've become two of my favorite verses. Um, so to give you a little background before we read the verses, uh, you have the disciples. They've, they're doing their own thing, and they're doing some stuff, and they run to Jesus because they have something what they think is really cool to tell them, to tell him. So let's read verses 49 and 50. Now John answered and said, Master, guess what, Master? I have something really cool to tell you. And we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow with us. And notice Jesus' response. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is on our side. And I love this because, so this is what's going on. John's like, um, you're doing things in the name of Jesus, but you're not with us, and we're with Jesus. So if you're not with us, you're not with Jesus. So stop doing that. And then Jesus is like, um, no. So they can be with me and not with you. And how easy is it for us to be like, you need to do things my way, you need to dress this like this, you need to talk like this, you need to walk like this, you need to dance 
Not at all. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, that's, that's, that's not the point. We're so quick to be exclusive of others. And Christ is like, no, 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 no. We need to be inclusive of everyone. That's the spirit of Christ. Not exclusive, but inclusive. Along with this, we have the principle of, or this idea of calling versus competition. I'm going to be vulnerable real quick, um, give you guys a little story. So, more or less, the spirit of competition is poison, and I'm going to tell you why. So, um, like I said, I've been working with James Rafferty and Jeff Spady and Joseph Washburn here at Lightbearers. And I got to a point, so we, I'll give you, okay. We work with a set of interns, there's like 11 of them, and we just do life with them. That's, that's the point, we do life with them. We have fun, we um, <laughs> pray a lot because I don't really know what I'm doing. And I got to the point well, a few months ago where I was looking down on some of the interns. And I'm going to tell you why. I started to look down on them because I noticed that James Rafferty, Ty Gibson, and Yamil Rosario, the guys who I see as at the top, were really starting to like them. And I started thinking, oh no. What if they start to think that they can do my job better than I can? And so I started to have these thoughts of, I need to look better than. I need to look like I can do this greater than I have been. You know what I'm saying? And Christ is like, we don't need this spirit. The spirit of competition is totally against who I am. And I started to realize, I was like, that spirit, that principle is of the devil. And that has no place in someone who calls himself a Christian. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to know that when Christ calls you somewhere, just know that he's called you there and he will keep you there until it's time to go somewhere else. So you don't have to be competitive. He's going to grow you while you're there so that when you do leave, it was your time to leave. Something I had to learn. Um, and just a silly, yeah, a simple note. There's plenty of room in heaven. Like, heaven is huge. Um, there's enough room for everyone. And that's something that I even had to start to believe, which is sad. Number three, what it means to become one with Christ and his Father. Galatians chapter 5. Verses 24 through 6, chapter 2. Galatians, just hang a right a few, a few chapters. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 through 6, 2. These few verses are super slammed with good information. I'm only going to cover like one point, so please go back over this when you have time. Um, 24. And those who are Christ's, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. 
Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, Fall Creek Church, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In a spirit of what? Gentleness. Not pride, not arrogance, not I'm better than you, not this is my position. Gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And here it is, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Jesus, the king of the universe, again, leaves his throne. Why? Because he sees a world with a burden. And what does he do? He comes up alongside that world. He takes that burden, puts it on himself, and does life with people. That's the kind of example that we need to follow. An example where when we see a fellow member in our church or a fellow member of our family suffering, hurting, stressed, we pull up alongside them. We share in that burden. We let them know that they're not alone in this. And that'll do a world of good in their life. And number four, what does oneness with Christ look like? Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Of what mind is Christ and of what spirit is Christ? Remember, that's what we're trying to answer. Because I want to be one with him. Let me know when you guys are there. Yeah? Okay. So Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 8. Therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing, let how much? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others than, better than himself. Let each of you look not out only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But what did he do? But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. I think it's powerful how in verse, verses 2, 3, and 4, obviously Paul here is writing to the Philippians and he's asking them to be of one mind and in one accord and have the same love. But I think it's very practical that Christ and God are asking us to be the same, of one mind, of the same love, and in one accord. And what does that accord look like? It looks like esteeming others better than myself. That's like me looking at Ramiro and being like, Ramiro, your problems are my problems, 
And not so much that your problems are my problems, but your, your problems are more important to me right now than my own problems. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to bear his burden. I'm going to come up alongside him, and I'm going to share in what he's going through. And now we're going to go to the last verse. Whoa. Exodus 32, verse 32. And this will be our fifth, fifth verse on understanding what it looks like to be one with one another, to be one with the body of Christ, and to be one with him and his Father. Exodus 32, verse 32. To give you a little uh, background before we read this verse, um, Moses is hanging out with God on Mount Sinai. And at the bottom of the mountain, the people of Israel have done a very bad thing. And do you guys remember what they did at the very bottom of the mountain? They danced. (laughs) You're Adventist. Um, (laughs) um, Yes, they did dance. And it wasn't wholesome dancing around a golden calf. Um, And so God basically tells Moses. He's like, Moses, these people are very stiff-necked. I don't know what to do with these guys. So you know what? I have a proposition for you. It's a test, but that's what he says to Moses. I have a proposition for you. I'm going to just start over new with you, Moses. I'm going to make of you a great nation. And these guys, I'm going to just call fire from heaven and burn them up. How's that sound? And he's like, that's a great idea. No. I think if I was in that situation, I would have been like, that's a great idea. Wow, you're right, Lord. I am pretty tight with you. But here's the point. Moses doesn't do that, which qualifies him to to put on display his tightness with God. He says, Lord, don't do this thing. Why? Because of your reputation. And he's like, forget my reputation. What about you, God? Could you imagine God? He's like, he's like telling God now. He's like, could you imagine God if you just wiped them all out right now? How would that make you look? You would look horrible. The Egyptians would laugh at your face. I can't have that, God. You just, you take these people out of the land of Egypt. You say that you're going to set them free and then you zap them all? No, Lord, don't do this. Don't do this. And then... We get to verse 32 of chapter 32. And Moses goes as so far as to say this. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses is so in tune with God that he is willing to say and to believe in his heart that I would rather be lost with them than to be saved without them. Moses says, those people are my people. We are one. If they go, I go. But if you can save us all, then please do. Could you imagine what it would look like if that was our church today? If I was able to say, as a member of a church, Lord, If you can't save my church, 
then I'll be lost with them. That is the type of mind that Christ is calling us to. To be like, we are one. That would be like living with no legs and no arms and trying to feed yourself. Because if they're not there, then you're not there. Man cannot accomplish unity and oneness with Christ and his body without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that allows us to see with new eyes, to see others with tender sympathy and pity, and long for nothing but their good. Search your hearts. Come into deep repentance before God. Be reconciled one to another and ask for forgiveness. Encourage the brethren and bear one another's burdens. Christ himself said, I can of myself do nothing. What a perfect example for us. We of ourselves can do nothing, but we can do all things when filled with the Holy Spirit. Christ and his Spirit are waiting for us to come to the end of ourselves and allow the Spirit and mind of Christ to be one in us and to transform our characters. A fuller revelation of Christ's character is to be seen by the world if only we would submit ourselves to his will. In, in John 17, uh, verse 4, Jesus went ahead and said, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And since I have finished the work, I'm coming home. I'm coming, I'm coming to my Father. Just a chapter before John 17 and John 16, Jesus went ahead and told his disciples, it's beneficial for you guys that I leave. Because if I don't leave, then the Comforter cannot come. But since I am leaving, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And right now, I'm confined to this human body. I can't be in all places at all times, but he can. And so Christ went back to heaven and sent his Spirit. His Spirit now is at a point where he is searching the world for a group of people who would help him to finish his work. The Holy Spirit wants to be able to say to the Father, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. And so my question for you guys is, are you willing to align yourselves with Christ and his Spirit and help him to accomplish the work that he is calling us to? Let's pray. Dearly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for our sins. Pray that you would forgive us for our pride, for our comp- competitive spirit. I pray that you'd forgive us for looking down on others. I pray that you would set us free from bondage. Sin binds us, but you came to set us free. Oneness in you is only going to make us feel more free and more alive. And that's what we long for, Lord. We long to be in one with you. I pray, Lord, that this church would be a church that comes together in these weeks coming up in the next years, and they just hone in on this, Lord. And they 
request for the outpouring of the Spirit upon them, and that, that, would, that, they, that they would be reconciled one to another and be of one mind and of one accord. In your love, in Jesus' name, amen.